occasionally singing before I come up because you pick songs in higher keys than Nick does so my voice is now already like done like I'm just I'm I was like singing an octave down and I never sing an octave down so it's pretty crazy okay um man to tell you where to turn in your Bibles because again we're going to be kind of everywhere this morning uh if you want to turn okay just turn to Genesis chapter one because we're going we're gonna to start there, and then if you want to go ahead and hold a place in Isaiah 42, we're going to end up there as well. Um, so do any of you have any, like, random things from your past that you still have, like, perfectly memorized? Like, like, like not, the, not the helpful things, like we're memorizing Scripture on Sunday nights. <laughs> like, that's the good things to have. I mean, like, the, the not super... Like, I still... I still remember the whole first paragraph of the Gettysburg Address. Does anybody else have that one? Four score, seven years ago, our fathers brought forth. Prologue of Romeo and Juliet. Perfect. Uh, alphabet backwards. I still have all the prepositions. Aboard, about, above, across, after, against, along, among, around, at, before, behind, below, beneath, beside, between, beyond, by, down, during, except for, from, in, inside, into, like, near, of, off, on, over, past, since, through, throughout, to, toward, under, underneath, until, unto, up, upon, with, within, without. Yes, I got, yeah. So, no, no, no. This, it's not, though. Like, it's... I know what words to not end sentences. I know what I know what words to not end sentences with. No, yeah, anyway. So, so I, I've added one more of those recently in the last few years because... Um, for not, not everybody may know, I work at ETSU in University Relations, I do video, and in doing video at ETSU, I do lots of talking head videos with Dr. Nolan, um, and if you haven't ever heard a Dr. Nolan speech or a video of Dr. Nolan, they all include the same phrase. ETSU was founded in 1911 for a singular purpose, to improve the quality of life for the people of our region. And for the past 100 plus years, ETSU has been and it just kind of goes from there. And then he transitions into whatever the topic is. But he always has the, he, like, if you, ever, if, if you ever got to see some of the attempts at getting videos with him, they all just kind of start over, start over. He just goes, and if he gets tongue-tied, he just immediately starts over. No gap, no nothing, so it's really hard to cut when you get to the good take. But if he can't figure out what he wants to say, he always defaults back to kind of his overall vision for why ETSU exists in Johnson City, to improve the quality of life for the people of our region. And he calls that ETSU's mission of place. Like, because ETSU has been placed here for the express purpose, like, like our, our very nature of being here, by, by virtue of ETSU existing in Johnson City, Tennessee, it, is, it was founded with the intent to help the people that it was placed within, the, the, the community that it was placed within. And, and he wants to kind of get this, this vision cast throughout all of ETSU that we are here as members of the ETSU family to serve our region. 
to, to, to provide more, and here I am, I'm just going to go off on all of his platitudes, but right, but it's like to, to add more educators or more, or better health care or better, I don't know, bluegrass music to our region. All of these things are important for our region. And, and that idea, like I hear it all the time to the point that it means very little to me when I hear him say it at this point. But when you stop and think about that idea, being, being placed somewhere for the benefit of others, to, to bless those who are around you, to serve those who you, have been, who you have been kind of given an audience with or community with or connection to, that is very similar to what it looks like to be a part of the church. This idea that God has intentionally placed us, his people, on this earth, in this place, in this building, on this block, so that we can benefit, bless, improve the quality of life for the people of our region or our social circles or our family. And so as we're continuing this kind of study that, about this idea that we're calling wraparound care, this idea that, that, that sin or addiction have so taken people in and that we have been called to help bring them back. Last week we talked about how, how community seems to be the, the vehicle through which God is trying to, to draw people back out of their sin, out of the things that they are trapped in. This week I'm going to talk about how God designed the church specifically to be the ones who are going to enact that vision. That, that yes, Community might be the thing that God has built us to use, built us to, to value in such a way that it pulls us back out of a multitude of sins, pulls us back out of a multitude of things that we can become trapped in, addicted to. But I want to make the point this week that God's intent all along was not just that, that we exist in community, but community in the body of Christ was God's ultimate intent for how to work that out, how to use that, how to make that happen. So if you're in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to just start from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So from the very beginning, right, from the very beginning, when God created everything and he created, he created Adam and Eve, the first thing he wanted them to do was to have dominion over the earth, to care for the earth, to take care of this creation that he had made and thus bring glory back to him through the way that they cared for the earth. From, from the very beginning, God had work in mind for us. He had a mission in mind by virtue of his placing Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, work it and keep it, right? He said, I'm putting you here with a purpose. He didn't just say, I'm putting you here so that you can just enjoy the fruits of all of this amazing garden that I've given to you. I have, I have a mission for you. I have a purpose for you. You have, you have something that I have called you to do. We've talked about this in the past, that work wasn't created after the fall. It wasn't part of our punishment, but it was part of who we are. 
part of who we are as the created beings with which God has, has imbued his, his image. The way that we reflect God is through the way that we live out our lives, through the way that we serve this purpose that he has called us to. From the start, we were not created to just sit back and consume. And that's going to continue to be a key theme that we look at as we go forward. A little while later in Genesis, if you want to flip over to chapter 12, um, as, as God, and we just, we did a study through Genesis not too long ago, so maybe some of this is familiar to you. But if you remember, the very beginning of Genesis is, is very much God working with the whole world and speaking to, this is how I want the whole world to work, and this is the way that I interact with all of my creation. But, but when we get to Genesis chapter 12, God begins to focus his attention on working with one specific family. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God has called Abram and he said, I am going to call you. I'm going to take you to a place. You just follow me. I'll tell you where you're going to go. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And then we get to verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, and this is the key part. This is what we're talking about this morning. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So from the very beginning, as God created this, this unique nation that he was calling out from all of creation, his intent, the, the, the mandate for Israel was ultimately that God would bless the nations through them. They were, they were being created for others. They were being created for other people. And I want us to keep this idea of being for other people present in our mind as we continue to move forward. Even, even further on, lots of Israel history, they, they have good times, they have bad times. Ultimately, God says, and if you've, been, if you've been here on Sunday nights as we've been reading through the book of Isaiah, you've heard lots of these promises of judgment to come. And by the time uh, it, God has kind of, he's fed up and he says, I'm going to send you away. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 29, he says to them, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, and look at this, for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you, fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Look at that, look at that word there, for, are completed for Babylon. This, this mandate that God was giving his people that their existence wasn't for themselves, but was for others. That he had, he had work for them to think about that was, that was outwardly focused. It wasn't only focused on what was inside of their culture, right? It wasn't just enjoy the fact that you're the people of God and forget everybody else. From the very beginning, we talked about it. We just looked at it. He told Abraham, you're gonna, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Even by the time they were being taken off into captivity as punishment, he said, I'm taking you away for 70 years, but this 70 years is, is for Babylon, right? He says, I want you to continue to, to worship me and to follow me while you are there. I mean, we can think through, I know uh, some of the kids were learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a couple of weeks ago. But like this idea that, that the people of God were being taken into a pagan land and now they were going to live their lives in a way that was glorifying to God to the point that the king even says, wow, your God's a lot better than me, right? 
this, this idea that they were, they were being taken somewhere, but, but their focus was still on the glory of God through the nations in all the world. They were there for Babylon. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. So we've been reading um, Radical on Wednesday nights, and if you haven't gotten to be here, maybe you've gotten a copy of the book. I hope you've gotten to read it. If not, we would still really encourage you to find some time to read this book because so much of what um, David Platt in the book continues to call us to is to examine what is our kind of our mindset of how the church should work. Is it there for us or are we here for someone else? And that this idea of the church is here only to serve me or to make me feel better, to build me up, has become kind of this constantly growing mentality that's been present in the church, particularly in America. Because, because here, we talked about this on Wednesday night, because only in America do we have the number of choices available to us for how we want to practice our Christianity. If I don't like the way that I can practice my Christianity at this church, well, that's fine. I can move on to another place, and I can find a place that will make me feel better or that will fill me in a better way. And, and it's not, and, and, and because we have all of these options, it's so easy to find what makes us feel right, where he's making the point. There are some of these other churches around the world where there is no choice. In fact, the choice is a dangerous one should you even choose to be a part of the church. So if you're in, you're in. You don't, you don't worry about, well, man, I hope they sing these kinds of songs and not these kinds of songs. Or, man, I hope they have these kinds of programs because that would really make it a whole lot easier for me if they had these kinds of programs. Or, man, I hope, I hope it doesn't flood. A little topical humor for those who have been here over the last couple of weeks and know that occasionally our church might flood. Never know. Or frequently. It's okay. We're all fine. Everybody can swim, right? Good. Okay. But, but, to, but to have as many options as we have in America today, it's easy for us to find, I want to find a place where I don't feel like I am uncomfortable. I want to make sure that I am comfortable. And, and I mean, to, to be fair, this, this idea that I should not have to feel discomfort is such a problem in America where we feel like we don't deserve to feel any pain or frustration. We don't deserve to feel these things, so we should do whatever we can to make ourselves feel better. And that's just simply not why the church was created. We were here to be for others, to be thinking more of others than ourselves, to be, to be hoping to see others flourish, to see others pulled out of sin, to see others connected to the body of Christ. Because, because we want so much more for another person. And it's so hard for us sometimes because, because every, all of sin kind of boils down to pride and selfishness, right? What was it that, that Adam and Eve were thinking when they, when they ate the fruit in the garden? It wasn't, yeah, it looks good. It looks like it would taste good. Maybe I want to try it just so I know what it tastes like. But the thing that they were being tempted with is, you can be like God. You can know the things that 
God knows. You can become more important. You can become more powerful. And that drive, that desire to build ourselves up and make ourselves feel better is at the core of all of our sin. So it's not surprising that we try to make ourselves feel comfortable. It's not surprising that we, we self-medicate in so many ways to, to alleviate pain, whether that, whether that is through, through drug use or alcohol or, or inappropriate intimacy with others or whatever, whatever thing may find you being trapped, you may find yourself being trapped in so that you can kind of make yourself feel better because we have this understanding that we deserve a certain thing. And that's not one of the promises that, that God has made to us. His intent is that his people, as he called them together, would be there to serve others and pull them back from that state. But that guarantee that then all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of our frustration just goes away simply doesn't exist in Scripture. Ultimately, he's going to bless us. Ultimately, we're going to get him. Ultimately, we're going to get to exist in perfection along with Jesus and the rest of his people. But, but that promise hasn't been made for us now. So we shouldn't fight with everything that we have to make ourselves feel safe and comfortable and all of these things. That, should, that shouldn't be our, our main motivation as people of God. Our main motivation, we were created to be here for others. Acts 13, 47. This, is, this goes beyond just the people of Israel. It continued when God created the church. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Just like I was saying um, on Wednesday night when we were reading Radical, this last chapter was this idea that the church was created so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. And we were all called to have a global mindset in our Christianity. And you may be thinking, that sounds impossible. I don't even have a driver's license, or I can't even, I can't even go outside of Johnson City, or I, I can't even imagine. Are you saying that, that means I have to get up and I have to go to some far-off country? Maybe. I'm not going to say no. Maybe you do. Maybe God is calling you to that. But all of us, and this is the point that he was making in the chapters, that all of us can practice Christianity that has a global mindset, a global desire to see God's name proclaimed throughout the nations. And you can practice your Christianity in such a way that, that seeks to see God's name continue to be glorified throughout all of the earth. Because that's what we were called to. A light for the Gentiles so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We were specifically placed here on earth at this time in this place so that we could have a global impact for the glory of God. I don't know specifically what that looks like for each one of you. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for me six months, a year, ten years from now. It may change day to day, week to week. Who knows? But, but we all have a purpose in this place. We all have been given this mandate to improve the quality of life for the people around us. Improving meaning more leading them toward salvation, a greater thing that is, that is bigger than any one, you know, sin that they may be trapped in or any one promise of 
you know, this amazing job or house or whatever it may be. It's not, it's not that kind of improvement, but rather, but rather a holistic improvement that only comes from, from knowing Christ and being a part of the community that he is building in the body of Christ. So, so our being for others, being, for, being, being outwardly focused in our Christianity is rooted in who we are as humans. It's rooted in who we, who we were when God, who, who Israel was when God called them out from the earth. And it's rooted in who we are now as the body of Christ. But not just being for others. We are, we are here to be for those who are in the greatest need. Luke chapter 5, verse 29 through 32. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Because this is, I think, probably one of the most key verses this morning. So Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. Sorry, 29 through 32. That's my bad. I can read. It says, And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I think there's a little bit, uh, I mean, and this is probably just me because it's me, reading a little bit of sarcasm in there. But he's like, I didn't come for the perfect people like you guys, which, which we all know. Pharisees, they weren't perfect. But, but I, Jesus is saying, I came for those who were in the greatest need. I came for those who knew that they needed repentance, who knew that they needed salvation. Those who know that they're sick, those are the ones who go to the doctor. Does anybody else try to, try to pretend like they're not sick for as long as they can when they are sick? Because that, that's me, and it makes my wife very mad. She's like, just admit that you're sick, and let me, let me pretend you don't exist and put you in a quarantine space <laughs> for the next six weeks, Right? I don't like, but, but, but for those who, who know that they are sick, who can, there, there was, the last time, when was it, two, three years ago, whenever, the last time I had the flu, I tried to not have the flu. I tried so hard to think I don't have the flu. I, it's, just, it's just a cold and fine. As my temperature slowly rose, rose, it rose. <laughs> Whatever, as it slowly rose, and then I slowly just kind of crumpled down into a little ball on the floor, and then I slowly just laid down in the middle of the living room and curled up into a ball and began to shiver. I don't, I'm not. And then at some point, I finally said, all right, I think I have the flu. But it was at that point that I could see a doctor and get medicine and start to feel better and have people bring me chicken noodle soup and all of these things, right? And what Jesus is saying is, I came for those who are in a broken and sick place. I came for those who nobody wants to be around. I came for those 
who, who are kicked out of town and left sitting, you know, 100 feet away from the city because, because they have leprosy and no one wants to go near them. I came for those people. Notice that I use that phrase, those people. Because I don't think if, if, if anybody could have ever had that kind of mentality, there's us and then there's those people. Jesus is the one who could have had that attitude because he's the only one who was different from the rest of us. He's the only one who was perfect. He's the only one who had no sin. He's the only one who could say, I don't want to be around that because I don't have to be. But yet that mentality of, of us and those people, those that we don't want to be around, those that we don't want to serve, those that are too far gone or those that might make us sick or those that might whatever, that mentality can so seep into our lives. Those people that are going to be bad for me, those people that are going to be bad for this thing, or those people that are going to impact my ability to do the things that I want to do. That's not living in a way that is for others. That's living in a way that is ignoring others for the sake of our own comfort. And those are the kinds of things. I, I want you to think about this. I want us to think about this. What are the kinds of things that prevent us from being a people that are for others, that are outwardly focused, from serving in this way that Jesus is serving, where he's saying, I'm here to go to the people that are in the worst place. I'm here to serve those who are in the roughest place that they could be. I'm here to go to those whose society has rejected. And I'm here to call those people to salvation and bring those people healing and bring those people into community, into the body of Christ. What are the things that prevent us sometimes from serving in that way? I got a couple of ideas just to kind of get you thinking. I think fear is one of them. Either fear of not knowing what it is that you're walking into or, or fear where you've convinced yourself that something so something or someone is going to be bad for you or that you're going to put yourself in some sort of danger. And, and I think fear forgets that God is in charge. Fear forgets that God is the one who's called us to this. Fear, again, puts our self, our safety over the needs of others at times. So fear, selfishness, we've talked about this. This, I want to be comfortable. I want what I want. I don't want to put myself in that sort of place. I think, so, so fear, selfishness, I think contempt. Looking down on others because of whatever difference I may see in them and myself. Which is also pride. Thinking more highly of myself. Elevating myself over others and thinking, I deserve this. I am better than that was certainly the mentality that the Pharisees were demonstrating. Why would you go hang out with the tax collectors and sinners? You should hang out with the religious elite like us. If you're going to claim to be this great teacher, why wouldn't you want to hang out with the best of the best? Because we're better than they are. And what has that mindset led the church to at times? I don't want to get into all of this too deep. But these might be fun discussions to have over lunch because I'm going to use the word government and government's always a fun thing to talk about over a meal, right? <laughs> it's led the church to reliance on government, 
referral to other social services instead of serving ourselves. Not saying that there aren't those, because we do this here. There are those who are doing things better than we could accomplish here. At one point in our history, we tried to donate clothes to people and have clothes available for folks, and we were too small an operation. We were not organized well, and it was not. It was a mess. It was not a good thing. We weren't able to serve people well because it just it, it wasn't working. We can give you the whole story sometime. Again, lunch. Uh, it will happen. Or you can read a chapter in a book that's coming out in six months or something like that that may or may not have that story in it. Uh, but... Um, Man, I lost my train of thought real quick. That happens. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. So giving out clothes. But we realized, you know what? Good Samaritan does this so much better than we do. But that doesn't mean that we just, we don't want to just push people off. Hey, you just go to Good Sam. We can't do that. No. We'll walk with you to Good Sam. We'll talk with you as we take you to Good Sam. We'll help you. Like, that, that, that could work. But, but this idea that we just refer people somewhere else or rely on the government. I, I was having a conversation with somebody several months ago. And he was talking, because we were talking about some different ways that we want to serve the community, maybe through rides sharing or housing or job readiness training, things that we're trying to work on. And he said, don't you think if you start up all of these kind of service things that you're going to, like, interfere with what the government's already doing? Aren't you going to make it harder for the government to do the things that they're trying to do? And I said, I think that the need for all of the different government, you know, enabled social services kind of rose out of the church's passivity and stepping back and saying, we don't really want to deal with it this way anymore. The government kind of filled in the gap that the church had been created to fill from the very beginning. And so I, I think that it, led, it leads to this mindset of the, these things that prevent us from serving others and being for others in this way lead us to just rely on other sources that aren't what God originally designed to be the answer to all of the problems that we're seeing all around us. And one last one, and I've said it a couple times, a consumer mentality. Just this idea that church is here for me. Church is not here for you. It's not here for me. We're here for God. We're here for Jesus. And we're here to make his name great all throughout the world for others for his glory. And this idea that how is the church able to serve me, make me feel comfortable, is so easy to find here because we have options. I don't know how many other churches there are within like a 10-minute walk of where we are right now, but I know it's double digits. You're only giving me nine. It depends on your walking speed, I guess. It depends on how fast you walk. But, but this idea that I can, I can choose the things that make me feel best because that's what I want, that prevents us from serving and loving people in the way that Jesus called us to. James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's it. To love people, serve others, specifically those who are in the greatest need. I, 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 love, I love some of the quotes that we were reading from, again, I just keep going back to radical because it just, it just happens to be that it just happens to be 
this is God working things out. It just happens to be that the chapter we were in this Wednesday, I think, just pairs perfectly with what we're talking about this morning. Because, I mean, it was one of those, oh, I'm not called to go there. I'm called to do this here, this kind of ministry here. Is He just said, this is just such a common mindset, a common mentality that can crop up in the church. Oh, I'm called to do this. I'm not called to be responsible for the nations. God wants me to work right here in America in my neighborhood. I'm not saying you can't have an impact in your neighborhood, but, but to forget the, go, the global call, the global mindset that we are called to have and to, to kind of push it off to the side is, is incorrect and not what God intends for us. And this is where it all kind of comes back to where we've been going with this whole series so far, is that, that, that we, the church, are the, the, perfect, the perfect organization the perfect group, the perfect community through which God can pull people back out of the things that seem impossible to solve, sin-wise, addiction-wise, the things that people struggle with the most in our society right now that seem like there is no hope. The church is the hope, and that has always been God's hope. We were in Isaiah 42 earlier. I'm going to read that verse 6 again, but we're going to go a little bit further. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. But then he goes on. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeons. From the prisons, those who sit in darkness. This is what... He's calling us to. We are here for the nations, but we are here to pull people back out of the things that they are trapped in. We are here to pull people back out by the power of God through the community of the body of Christ. To pull people out of the sin that has overtaken their lives. We read this verse to end last week. We're going to read it again this week. You probably will hear it again for the next two weeks. Because I just think this, next, this last verse... Is it. This is it. James 5, 19 and 20. We read it last week. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is it. This is who we are. It's the church that God has always intended to be the tool that he uses to bring about healing. But we can't bring about that healing if we just sit in our own little shells, in our own little bubbles, and we don't go where the sick people are. We don't go where the hurting people are. And we don't go where the, the brokenness is. And we become paralyzed and, and passive in our practice of our faith. This is consistent with the heart of God. We read it last week. Jesus, who didn't think sitting at the right hand of God was a thing worth holding on to, but humbled himself, taking on the form of man. Jesus, who, who could have just sat in glory and been great, put himself out here to be for us. And just like he was for us, he calls us to be for those around us who are in great need.